This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17. Episode 11. This is Writing Excuses, structuring with multiple timelines. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're multiply on a hurry on several timelines. <laughs> I'm Dan. <laughs> I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Pung. I'm getting carried away. <laughs> this Thanks, is, Howard. <laughs> that was Howard, by the way. Uh, um, so uh, last week we talked about multiple POVs. Now we have multiple timelines, which is a much more overtly structural thing, or more obviously structural. Um, Pung, when... Where do we start here? Uh, when might it be a good idea to use multiple timelines and, and how do you do it? Oh, I love multiple timelines. I think they might be my um, my favorite, uh, you know, structure uh, technique. But uh, so what I think multiple timelines are great. Well, they're great for a million things. But one of the biggest benefits to using multiple timelines is if you've got a story um, that has... Um, it's got like an old buried secrets that come to light years, uh, years later type plots. Uh, and it's a really good way for you to uh, dramatize backstory in Steen instead of having to just info dump it. Because if you've got, you know, this huge, you know, backstory that happened decades ago, you don't really want to just throw that right there in the beginning or, you know, have a big section that's separated from the rest. You want to be able to weave it in really well. And one of the ways to do that is to go back and forth between this backstory and do it in scene uh, as opposed to just having uh, like an info dump. I think a really great example of that, uh, has everyone read Shadow of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafon? I've not. Oh, it's a good, well, put put it on your list. Um, it um, It is a book about... Uh, basically a little boy who, when he's, uh, he, he's, you know, reeling from the loss of his mother who just died and his father takes him to the cemetery of lost books, I think it's called. And he says that it's a, basically a secret bookstore and everybody that goes there gets to choose one book and then you have to take care of it for the rest of your life and it's yours. And so he ends up choosing a book by, um, a mysterious author and he falls in love with it. And he decides that he's going to find more of this author's work because the book is just so good. But it turns out that all other copies of every other book uh, have been destroyed. And so it's this mystery about, um, you know, who, who destroyed those books? Where is the author? What happened? And so as the boy goes on this investigation, rather than just having big, info dumps of what he finds out at every stage of his investigation, which is what you would do if you did the whole thing in present, uh, just one timeline. We end up, every time he comes upon a new epiphany, we jump back in time and we get that epiphany as it happens in narrative rather than as uh, something just being told back to him. And it works so well, it makes the past just as compelling as the as the present. I wanted to take a moment to... Uh just pin some terms down. Um, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe has introduced us to the idea that timeline means multiple realities. But for the most part, what we're talking about here is a single timeline that has multiple pointers on it that we will be jumping into and visiting 
uh, you know, current time, flashback, uh, in media res, uh, that, that kind of thing. Um, now that said, uh, Terry Pratchett's, oh, I forget which, which book it was. It was one of the Vimes books, um, has a forked timeline in the climax and it, it happens when Vime takes his magical day planner thingy and drops it into the wrong pocket in his trousers. It, it's described as, you know, the trousers of time and they're in the wrong pocket. And there's this war going on that he has been trying to stop. And in the timeline he's in, he's successfully putting a stop to things and his day planner is now on the other timeline and keeps beeping things about our favorite characters dying. And it's a fascinating way, you know, here in the multiple, in, in, you know, through multiple forked timelines to say, congratulations, you know, you chose the better one. <laughs> um this uh, another really good example of this is the one that I used as a book of the week a couple of weeks ago, uh, the inheritance of Orchidia Divina. Um, uh, what the book's plot is kind of sort of about is the inheritance that this grandmother leaves to her family uh, includes a debt to some kind of very mysterious, very dangerous person. And if we had gotten everything in chronological order, the life of the grandmother growing up, and then all of the family trying to deal with it after the fact, we would already know everything about that mysterious person and the danger that he represents before the family comes into play and struggles against it. And so by jumping back and forth between these two periods of history, um, we get to discover with the family all of the things that are happening at the same time that we get to see them happening to the grandmother in the past. And so having the chapters alternate back and forth is this really smart structural choice that doesn't give away the ending before it matters. So you just said that we get to see it happening at the same time that we're seeing something else happen. And I just want to remind readers that even when we're talking about a nonlinear storytelling, like multiple timelines, that your reader is still experiencing things in a linear fashion. So as you're thinking about this, recognize that one of the, the tools that you're manipulating is when you are feeding them information. And you're also using it uh, to control pacing as well as, uh, a, you know, a, it, it, so it's not just about now we get this thing, now we get that. It's also a way of controlling a lot of different pieces. So when you're, I'm going to flag a danger with the, the with uh, multiple timelines, which is um, f sometimes flashbacks can stop forward progress in a story while you sit down and explore something deeply. So when you're when you're thinking about this, um, remember that you also want to make sure that whatever timeline that we're jumping into carries tension, that it, it's still serving as a good, interesting story in and of itself, not just as a, a way to try to mask an info dump. Yeah, my rule of thumb on this is that if there's going to be a flashback, the flashback should be an answer 
to a question that just landed on the reader rather than an opportunity to ask a new question or dump new information so that the story can move forward. Um, and I've found that, yeah, the flashbacks that I hate, the flashbacks where I, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go get a sandwich if I'm watching on TV, are the flashbacks where it has arrived and I didn't want it because it's not answering a question I had. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. All right, we are going to pause here for the book of the week. And we've got a really awesome one this week because it is Pung's book. Pung, tell us about The Cartographers. Yay. Uh, the uh, the Cartographers is my second novel. Uh, it is a uh, story about map making and family secrets. And it, uh, it follows Nell Young, who's a young woman whose uh, greatest passion is the art of cartography. And she's been, uh, she spent her whole life trying to live up to her father, who's the legendary cartographer, Dr. Daniel Young. But they haven't spoken for seven years ever since he cruelly fired her and destroyed her professional reputation over um, it, it was during an argument over an old, cheap uh, gas station highway map. Um, and when the book kicks off, uh, her father is found dead in his office at the New York Public Library with that very same seemingly worthless map hidden away in his desk. And so, of course, Nell can't resist uh, investigating and to her surprise, she soon discovers that the map holds um, like a, a this incredible deadly mystery. And so she sets out to uncover both what the map and her late father have been hiding for decades. And it is um, it's coming out uh, right about now. It comes out on March 15th. And uh, I'm just really excited for everybody to read it. Well, awesome. That sounds great. So that is The Cartographer's by Pung Shepherd, P-E-N-G Shepherd. Uh, so go look that up, go buy it. Do your thing. Okay, let's get back to... Uh, I'm just going to say, Pung is a, a heck of a writer, so you are you are in for a real treat with this. Well, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so what are some other... We've talked about... Uh, using multiple timelines to provide information. What are some other good uses of multiple timelines in a story? When might you want to do this? I think one of the most, one of the most fascinating and easy to consume examples is the movie Julie and Julia, which follows um, Julia Childs, the beginning of her career in the 1950s, um, and uh, a woman named Julie Powell, who created a blog in which she was going to try and cook all of the recipes in Julia Child's cookbook. And this story bounces back and forth between the 1950s and the early 2000s. Um, uh, it's directed by Nora Ephron. It was actually Nora Ephron's last movie. Uh, she, she wrote it, she directed it, and it's a beautiful way to tell two different stories, each of which, if you're familiar with uh, uh, Freytag's triangle or, you know, the narrative curve, um, each of those stories has its own narrative curve to it. And by jumping back and forth between the two of them, 
we increase the tension, we increase emotional investment, we reach our climaxes at the same at about the same time. It's a it's a delightful film. Also, just talking about it has made me hungry. Yeah. Uh, another <laughs> really good example is uh Vicious by V.E. Schwab. Um each uh each scene begins with something like 10 years before, 5 minutes before, 3 days before. And it it's there absolutely there's no linearity to to when those pop in. But it it does this thing of enriching the world and deepening the character motivations. It is a structure that makes me deeply jealous uh, because I, I'm like, I don't have any understanding of how you write something like this. One of the things that that I think that um, that she does, which which gets to Howard's earlier point about making sure that you're answering a question that was just dropped is that um, she doesn't always do that, but she has built trust with the reader so that you understand that if we are doing this jump, that there is a reason for it and, and you'll understand it later. But she, she has built trust by setting by um, at the beginning that that that's the way it's going to work. I think another really good, um, way that that multiple timelines can be used is the same sort of along these same lines of of answering a question. If you've got a story in which you have something that you need to sell to the reader that's a little bit um, difficult to believe or you think you're going to have trouble getting them to buy, whether it's like a world building aspect or it's a plot point or something about a character, um, if you put that into the past timeline just by putting it there, um, the existence of that history or of that previous mention is kind of automatically legitimizing. And so um, it sort of works the same way as uh, if you've got a legend in the story. The more times you mention a legend or the more times you mention um, you know, something about magic, the more it just starts to feel real and believable just through the repetition. And so a lot of times multiple timelines will have that same effect where if something, if you tell the reader that something has happened in the past, it just automatically makes it more believable. And it's a really easy way to, to, yeah, to sell something to your readers that you need them to buy for the the present narrative. It's so weird that the way that works, because you're absolutely right. Um, everything in, you know, a fantasy book, for example, is just stuff we made up, right? But <laughs> yeah. it it's, the idea that this has happened before, if I tell you it happens now, or if I tell you it happened 10 years ago, either way, I just made it up. But that 10 years ago thing does really kind of hack the reader's brain into saying, oh, this is very unbelievable, but it happened 10 years ago. It must be true. And (laughs) then that helps us kind of, um, you know, suspend our disbelief a bit, a little better by setting an artificial precedent. And it's so weird that that works but it does yeah and extending that trick if you say oh yeah this this exact same thing happened a hundred years ago um yeah well that's kind of cool but if you say this exact same thing happened 122 years ago only it was in the summer instead of the winter holy crap i am on i am so on board wow you yeah. because now yeah i mean there's a wheel specificity of is- to it Wheel of Time is based on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, there, there's one more example I want to mention really quickly, just because um, it's the movie Frequency, 
which is about a uh, father who is a firefighter and dies in a fire and his son who grows up to become a cop. And the story is told with, you know, watching them both when they're about the same age in life, Mm -hmm. scenes intercutting back and forth. But what's different is that through a weird quirk of science fiction, uh, they actually can talk to each other and the two timelines interact with each other over the radio. Uh, And it's a really interesting take on this narrative premise. All right. So while we're doing examples, there are two that I want to just throw in there because they are structurally so different and interesting. Uh, One is um, Firebird by Susanna Kearsley. And it is both uh, multiple timeline and multiple POV in that um, she has a character who's in, I think, the 1500s and one who is in the early 2000s. And those characters never interact. Their stories are connected only by one artifact that they both possess. Um, and, And it's this... It's just, it's a beautiful meditation in time and place. But what, what she does by, by going between those two timelines is the, the contrasts between them also make you appreciate the, uh, the commonalities, the things that don't change over time. And it, it, she's a, it, it's beautiful, beautiful writing. Um, and the other one, which is completely different structurally, is a picture book called uh, When I Wake Up by Seth Fishman. And it's a kid wakes up in the morning and says, today I could. And the story splits into four distinct timelines. Each color code, each are happening simultaneously on the page and color coded. So, you know, I could go to the park. I could make breakfast for my parents. I could... And it's this beautiful thing of like, this is how my day, it's it's basically sliding doors for a kid <laughs> in four timelines with colors. It's really lovely. But it it is, again, it's what I like about each of them, even though they use different versions of the multiple timeline, is that they are exploring uh, the texture of contrasts. That's awesome. All right, Howard, bring it home. What's our homework? Okay, your current work in progress, look at adding a second time timeline, time stream to it. A uh, couple of ways you can do this. Um, take a character whose backstory perhaps you haven't told yet, write a fun backstory for them, and find a way to weave that into the existing story, you know, bouncing through multiple timelines. Um, alternatively, uh, you might take your current work in progress and the ideas you have for your second book and see if the first book story could be told as a flashback in the course of the second story. Um, but dig in and try to do this. I don't want to, I don't want to make it easy. Um, you know, dr- drill into it and break some things. And, and when they are broken, step back and say, Howard, you're a jerk. You did this to me and we will all, all have had fun. That sounds great. You are out of excuses. Now go write. This has been Writing Excuses. Your hosts for this episode were Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, Pung Shepard, and Howard Taylor. 
This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr. and mastered by Alex Jackson. The liner notes and transcripts for this episode are available at writingexcuses.com. To learn more about us and to support us, visit patreon.com slash writingexcuses. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 